I'm Tim Burrows. It's been six years since the launch of Thinkabell, a communications agency with foundations in creativity, media strategy, public relations, and until recently, a foot in the consulting world too. Now that part of Thinkabell changed direction last month when the founders bought back the minority stake in the agency previously held by the since-embattled PwC. With Thinkabell now fully independent, it's a good moment to check in. In today's conversation, I talk to founders Adam Ferrier and Jim Ingram and try to discover why Thinkabell has succeeded when so many others have not. I also explored why Adam's on TV so much. But I began by asking him to look back over the last six years and reflect on what went to plan and what did not. Um, well, nothing went to plan because we didn't really have one when we first started. So when we first started um, Thinkabell, it was uh, Jim Cousin and I, and we floundered around for a few months um, you know, we got a few clients and things went quite well. Well, things were going okay. But then when Margie came on board um, as our fourth partner, um, we started only then did we start to make a plan and um, start to project forwards as to what the shape of the agency could be and so on. And so, and then since then, um, we've created something that's um, already, you know, it's kind of exceeded our expectations in many ways. We're really happy with where we've got to. So, um, nothing went to plan in that way. Uh, in a negative way that nothing went to plan uh, is um, when we created the agency, we created thinkers and tinkers and uh, to deliver on measured magic and we had a new way of a new operating system. At first, it sounded like some clever nomenclature, but then the more we've kind of practised it, um, it's allowed us to flex into PR, flex into media planning and buying and offering creative services and um, and so on. And so, and then the level of ruthlessness we need to maintain in order to make sure that model stays true and central to the business is kind of um, that's been an interesting process in how to operationalize something just a bit different to what everybody else is doing. And so if you take your eye off a ball of that at any time, um, you know, you have to quickly put it back on track. Well, Jim, let me uh, invite you to build on that as well, if you can, please. Uh, I will say that um, we didn't entirely have no plan at the start. I remember you drew a series of blobs. I think Cuz drew a seating plan uh, in, a, in the size of an office and uh, I had something in the middle. So we did have something on paper. Um, I'll just, in, in terms of um, that muscle memory that Adam spoke about, so when we were um, forming, we were able to operate exactly the way we knew we were developing and that we were shaping. And this idea of thinkers and tinkers and our measured magic way of working was literally formed from day one. So um, us as a small working group were able to implement that straight away with creative people and Suji strategy type people fronting every single client that we had. The bigger we've grown, the more offices we've expanded to and the kind of more clients we've taken on. Those muscle memories need to flex even more, to be honest. So to, to, to create the default that that's how we work requires more and more work the bigger we get. Um, so, yeah, it's 
it's it's p- part of the blessing and the curse of having uh, a different working model we, and, and one that we're really rigorous on how we stick to it. And if you were to think where the DNA of the agency comes from, um, Jim, you sort of obviously came up sort of through the kind of traditional creative agency world. Um, Adam, you more from the media side, including, I suppose, sort of most notably Naked Communications. And then both of you obviously worked um, um, worked at um, Cummins and Partners as well. What what's the kind of percentage mix of what you picked up along the way that that makes um, Thinkabell? Well, I think the biggest percentage pickup came, I'll say, from mine and Cuz's side of the fence at that point in time. Adam was really um, clear on the vision of marketing sciences and how behavioural sciences um, that that world affects advertising. And we had that more traditional headspace. And I remember almost clashing with Adam in the very, very beginning of our first relationship where I was saying, I don't, I, I don't, I don't need a book. I don't need a book necessarily to know uh, what to do and, um, or how to, how to do what I've always done in the past. But the more and more that we learned and I learned particularly about the role of marketing sciences and the power that it's got, uh, uh, helped me realize that knowing it and using it is far better than pretending to ignore it. So the marketing science meets hardcore creativity was a really obvious meeting place for where we started the agency. Yeah, that's a good point. And then in terms of skill set, between the four of us, we've got brand consultancy backgrounds, we've got uh, media strategy backgrounds, we've got media implementation backgrounds, and we've got a bit of PR background, and we've got a, a creative agency background. So you can chop all those things in together, and that's what that's what you get. Um, and so I reckon it's a good combination of everyone. But I do think as well what's really interesting is the agency is growing. When you bring somebody in with a genuinely new skill set, then the agency just morphs a little bit into that direction and that direction as well. And so it does kind of feel like it continues to grow with um, – with every single person who comes in there as well. Which I think... Obviously, that's the tautologies and of course the bloody grows of every new person. <laughs> but hey, look, I, I, I think that does address the question I was about to ask, actually, or begins to anyway, which was, I mean, six years on, things things do change in this industry quite fast. Um, if you were starting with a blank sheet of paper today, what would be different if you were starting an agency today? I reckon what's really interesting um, is I can remember being at a traditional agency and being amazed that all that agency made, this is many years ago, it was scripts. So I made scripts and then another company came on board and bought those scripts to life. And that was a hell of a lot of people who were paid to write scripts for ostensibly TV ads. And that model is completely... Uh, is isn't going so well, just if you just think about that one small thing. Now, if you're um, an agency that's offering creative solutions, you're doing that at um, a strategic end and an implementational end and kind of, you know, at every bit in the middle as well. So I reckon you, when you if you're starting the agency today, I'd be more careful. I'd, I'd look at what's, where, what's getting created today where where the clients see the value and making sure that we've got that hardwired right into the foundation of the agency um yeah and so 
and just to maybe expand on that for a little bit, where the world of production is going and making things and the, and the there is no divorce between the idea and the execution. And so being able to manage that uh, as seamlessly as possible is really important. Jim, same question. Uh, when we first started, it was Adam and cousin and I, and then we went and we found Margie Reed. If we were starting today, I'd start with Margie Reed at the very, very, very beginning, um, just for the influence and impact she's had on us growing as a business and understanding what a business needs to do. Um, that's what I would do differently today. And just going back to the point you were making then, Adam, on the sort of the divorce between um, kind of, or, or, or the, the line between kind of creative and execution, um, this is something I was going to talk about a bit later, but this is probably a good moment. Um, it really strikes me that one of the really disruptive things about the rise of AI is it's going to completely change the business model of the production side of agencies. Um, is it already changing how you think about how you're remunerated or had you already moved to a model where you were you were more being rewarded for the thinking rather than the, the execution? At the moment, we're embracing, it's almost like the business model hasn't quite caught up yet to the application. So at the moment, we're using AI at a strategic level, at a um, at an ideas generation level, not an ideas curation level, if you like. So just seeing what's out there. We're using it um, in design um, and imagery creation not using it so much in uh, in video creation yet. And in all of those areas, I reckon just the short answer to your question is the biz uh, our business model hasn't quite caught up yet to how it's being used. And so that'll be next week's challenge. <laughs> this afternoon, the way it's changing. But the thing is, look, the systems, systems can help create more room and more time and space for creativity, which is a, you know, a thing that we're really big on at Think About. We've got lots of processes and lots of systems in place that allow us the freedom to be more creative and to give us the time and space we need. And AI is kind of just part of that system and another part of the process that wasn't here three months ago and was very different yesterday to it will be tomorrow. So using them using them to our advantage is, is the, the, the tool that we're um, leveraging at the moment. They gave they shortcut a lot of stuff to give us more time and more space around the other bits that you know we would have had time to play around with um, before before we had AI at our disposal. So at the moment, it's it's giving us more time to do more of the creative stuff that we want to do. And do you think though it also changes how you will ask clients to pay for what you do? Yes, it will. Definitely not sure yet how. Let's uh, let's talk about PwC, which I suppose is one of the, you know, the the, the announcement came in a, I suppose a couple of weeks back now that you were cutting your ties or at least the ownership ties of PwC, which owned a um, minority investment in uh, in Thinkabell. So it seemed like okay, this is a good time now that you're um, fully independent to talk about that. Um, they came in very early in in the agency's life. Um, why 
why was it right for them to invest then? And why was now the right time for them to exit? It was right for them to invest then because um, for, for a couple of, for three, three reasons. Number one, we had a personal relationship with some of them. And so they felt like nice people to do business with. Two, um, they had a marketing consultancy business and they needed partners to help realize their, what they were consulting on. So that made sense. And the third reason was um, there was lots of conversation at the time around consultancies being part of the um, competitive landscape. And so we wanted to be part of um, that part of the industry as well. It also feels like the right time to leave because they no longer have that um, marketing consultancy side of a business. So PwC have gone back to their core, op- kind of shrunk and gone back to their core offerings, if you like. Two, um, the, the main sponsors we had have there have moved on, and so we don't have a close personal relationship anymore. This was Russell Howcroft, presumably, was the Mainly name. Russ, yeah. And um, I don't know why I say mainly, it was Russell. And, uh, and then... <laughs> And the third, the third thing is, we're now just um, enjoying being a hundred percent rather than ninety percent uh, independent. And um, just before we leave the topic of PwC, um, what would your advice be to the consultancy sector generally on how to recover its reputation after the last few months? The amazing, the really interesting thing about working with uh, the consultancies is they've got lots of really smart people there who are sure can solve that problem for themselves. What would your advice be, though? If you, do you see what I did there? Do you see how clever you don't seem to appreciate how clever my response was? Then, ah, <laughs> uh, no, I, I I sat back, I basked in the cleverness, and then I thought, yeah, but I still want to know what Adam thinks. Uh, you know what? I honestly, transparency is. I'd start with transparency. Transparency of process is where value lies, and that's and transparency of process is absolutely fundamental to good business today. Jim, did you want to add anything to that? Oh, it was just. I was just going to add. Just please don't. <laughs> no, I was going to, the just remembering the role that they were interested in the investment in, in creativity in the first place. Um, so just championing that within within the consultancy world in their organizations and um allowing that to still develop and foster the way that you saw value in it in the first place and obviously i i don't quite know the answer to this just thinking about it um i've always sort i've sort of assumed that the ownership apart from pwc was the the the, the two of you plus ben cousins and I'm guessing Margie as well. Is is, is that it, or, yes, or Margie? Of course, it's bloody Margie as well. And and anybody else, or just the four of you? It's the four of us. And um, let's talk about a bit about the agency and the sort of the. Um, if you were to spend a few days in the agency, how do you think the kind of the operating rhythm differs to other places? Oh, so I love I love that question only because it gets me. I, I gets us to talk about something we're really really proud of, and that is um, 
the the agency one of the really interesting things about the marketing communications sector is it's overly siloed and we all kind of know that so there's different specializations and different things and pr agencies go really really fast twitch ad agencies are kind of kind of slow creative uh consultancies are even slower can kind of and then um you know media agencies are somewhere in between what our agency is able to do is operate at really diff- different rhythms depending on the client needs and the type of work they're doing with that particular client. And so you'll have some kind of really frenetic, fast-paced patches of the agency. You'll have people pontificating over big kind of interesting strategic issues over here. You'll have other people kind of doing the, um, you know, kind of working somewhere in between. And so I kind of, it feels like there's lots of pockets pockets of energy and space depending on what kind of things they're working to and just having our thinkers tinkers and squads around them allows us to work at different paces and different things but but overall i reckon if you came into the agency you'd feel like it's buzzing and it's a it's a nice place to be i think you'd you'd also feel the connectedness between agency idea and client um you know the indies are very good at this uh, anyway, but we think, particularly at Thinkabell, we've we've developed the best way possible to merge the line between client and agency, um, and the connectedness and the closeness that we have with our clients, and then that forces us to be close with the ideas that we create, and we truly have set up an agency culture where the ideas the ideas do and can come from anywhere. You know, lots of agencies say that, but if you walked in, you'd feel that happening. Um, and that that's because we can't avoid it because of our model. You know, the thinkers and the tinkers working so closely with the problem uh, and directly into the client allow that creation of idea to foster um, really, really potently within the agency. Even back to the question earlier around how production weave in at Thinkable, you know, they're, they're part of our tinker team. Our, all of our producers and our production team are part of that one one process. So when the ideas are being had, the concept of how they're going to be executed and who they're going to be executed with and how we'll bring them to life all starts to happen uh, almost at the same time, you know, as part of the creation process. So, yeah, a really close connection to what we're doing with client and what the ideas are uh, and how they're forming is is something you feel when you walk in here. Well, in a moment, I'll ask you to talk about kind of some of the the work that sums up the agency, but to to to. Jim's point about clients, marketers. Um, what what sort of problems do you think think about can help solve for a marketer that maybe other communications agencies might struggle to do? There's there's two types. There's two answers to that question. Number one is so. Um, not Mike working is now suffer for people listening along. Um, it, it's hard to tell whether Adam is playing with a uh, a slinky or perhaps playing an accordion. <laughs> um, sorry. So there's yeah, two answers to that question. Number one is the days of the um of somebody in the agency saying, "Trust me, this is the right thing to do," are dead, and the marketing sciences bit of the marketing science and its hardcore creativity means we have the language, we have the foundations and kind of the, the, the fundamentals in place to have a good opinion on what what should what actually works and then we've got the language on how to describe that. So there might be things that feel 
crazy or silly or um, irresponsible that if if uh, if they're there for a good reason or they're for for the right reasons, you've got the right language to explain it, and um, and there's good kind of foundations for those ideas, then we can make that we can help make those ideas happen. So that's one area where I think we get kind of really interesting thinking to actually happen because we know why we're doing it. Then the second thing is we have so we have a really broad range of expertise. So clients will bring us in to do, they may have a creative agency on record, but they'll bring us in to do their brand positioning. And so we'll do brand positioning or we'll do their segmentation or their business vision, which other agencies don't do. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, they might have an agency but need a kind of a, a PR plan or kind of a social strategy or something. And so we might be doing that. And so we have, again, we just have flex in the model to be able to do everything from from higher strategy through to um, the kind of the executional stuff. But from a, and from a creative point of view, that it just creates a, it's a creative stomping ground of opportunity. Like there's so much fun shit to get involved in that that sort of traditionally the creative people never got a chance to see or even have the discussions and certainly weren't in the rooms at the time. So, you know, the agency prides itself on on its creative flexit spaces that other other agencies may not be playing in, you know, as Adam said, from a media point of view or PR point of view, but even into like brand the creativity you can apply in in being involved in brand strategy or talking to a brand about its distinctiveness and where it's going to win creatively on that level. Um, it just there's it, it creates a bigger bandwidth of creative opportunity for us to flex our muscles and ha- have a run around and have a play creatively. Um, it's yeah, it, it makes it great fun. Well, let's talk about some of the brands, some of the work. If you had to pick, and I know this is hard, but just two or three clients or two or three pieces of work that really say something about what the agency does what what would you what would your first thoughts be where would you go to to begin with well i was going to go i was actually going to talk about ted platinum which is brand new only because it's it's top of mind because it's brand new but it's um it's the sort uh where except it'll be launched by the time we air this one (laughs) launched yesterday i think or the day before but um it's the type of idea that you you just wouldn't have had either in a traditional agency or even a year or so ago, um, we're launching a beer literally on a black market that we're creating. It's an underground way of of gaining traction for a product that's that's having a rebirth after not being on the shelves for six or seven years. Um, it integrates into earned media, uh, how we partner with influencers to get it happening. It's, it's hidden on the internet. You have to go into incognito mode to go and find where it's launched where it's launched and where it actually is available from is, you know, physical places that aren't normal uh, uh, places to go and buy beer. You know, there, there's just a whole lot of unreal and excellent complexity in how we're launching this product through all the channels and avenues that we normally uh, wouldn't be using, but we're using to our advantage in this instance. Um, it's unreal. And yeah, and the one the one that Adam was talking about was, um, you know, what we've been doing with Forex's sponsorship of the Maroons. And so, you know, calling this the the littlest big idea we've had because it started in last year's state of origin literally um just replacing the forex um sponsorship logo on the sleeves of the players with the postcodes that each player uh is uh their hometown 
And all of that was designed to uh, re-engage the regions of Queensland and start to win back the regions, um, which is a really important market for Forex um, and for the brand. And doing it through a sponsorship on the players' sleeves that's then broadened into 30 million opportunities on cans of beer in Forex for um, beer drinkers to share pride in their origin as well. Um, it's having a huge effect on the business and the brand and reclaiming uh, its um, market share uh, in Queensland. And, you know, none of it or hardly any of it is a traditional advertising idea. Um, it's leveraging all of the skill sets we have at our disposal in our agency. And again, with the relationship we have to have with client, you know, working with working with getting on pack for a beer, a beer brand that's pumping out 30 million cans for, for, a, for a promo is, you know, no mean feat and stuff that you have to work really closely with all parts of the client business and our business to be able to execute. I was just going to jump in and also talk about some of the stuff we've done for um, IAG and our main insurance with them, um, where we, um, uh, the thing I, I really like is what we did with um, Minecraft, where we created a, a game called Climate Warriors that's had now 7 million downloads and kind of helps educate the next generation around climate change, which is really fun. Some of the stuff we did for Log, where we turned around three TV ads in a week to combat negative uh, publicity in the first state of origin last year um yeah loads of stuff another one that um, interested me and you know we wrote about the time was um the work you did for cgu tall poppy which again was quite unusual um do you mind maybe talking about what the campaign was but also the process that got you there because i suspect that the 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 marketer involved had a hand in it as well it was that was a really interesting project, and I'm so glad you called that one out. It um, the platform was all around ensuring ambition, and actually, um, CGU is a brand backing the ambition of small business owners in Australia. So, if we were uh, to honour that that positioning, we had to be ambitious ourselves in the work that we created, because essentially that was a B two B campaign that um, had huge ambitions in how it was going to show up. Uh, how we were going to create what we were creating and also what we were going to tackle. So the the um, cultural issue of tall poppy syndrome in Australia was where this all started. A lot of the time, small business owners are faced with the idea of tall poppy syndrome as soon as they start um, gaining traction. So from a cultural point of view, doing something to um, negate tall poppy syndrome in Australia uh, then led us to um, manifesting tall poppy and, and the character of Poppy, which then um, took us to the ambitious approach to bring that to life via um, Jim Henson and the Henson Company, um, sorry, the Jim Henson Company through Brian Henson, and, you know, create a nine-minute film that launched that launched this idea of Tall Poppy and CGU ensuring um, small business owners. There was obviously loads of components to that whole suite of work that, um, that, that were really quite tactical, but the the bold approach of a Brian Henson produced, Jim Henson company created short film to talk to small business owners about emboldening them in this space of tall poppy syndrome in Australia it was pretty ambitious on its own. Um, it 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 was a brilliant project to be working with, and yeah, there there were some ambitious clients and ambitious people at Tinkerbell all rolled into one to make that happen. Um, and it's not the kind of job that comes easily so you need you need that 
ambition and that constant kind of reminder of why we're doing what we're doing to um, to to create uh, work like that. So Brent Smart was the CMO at the time, um, who's a fairly now over at Telstra, obviously fairly unusual character. You know, probably a bit. I mean, from where I sit, it strikes me probably a bit braver than the average client. Um, I'm guessing that sort of client who's both got budget and a kind of willingness to back you with something a bit unusual probably doesn't come along that often, I'm guessing. Nah, I reckon I reckon it's becoming, with all due respect to Brent, becoming more and more the norm. I reckon what you're starting to see is um, the rise of this. You're definitely seeing the rise of a CMO in terms of uh, corporate power. So you see lots of boards, lots of CEOs. You see lots of boards wanting to have CMOs on their board now to represent the consumer, represent innovation, creativity. And you're also seeing CMOs taking up CEO roles as well. So the people who understand the brand and the consumer and the interplay between those two um, are the people who are kind of corporations are suddenly realising, oh, shit, that brand stuff is really, really important. And so I think you're seeing a lot more influence from them. Um, The other thing that I think Brent has done well is he's got his head around again marketing sciences and what works really well and so therefore he's influential in the boardrooms because he can justify um you know the justify the results um that good marketing gets and so and he's learned that language as well and to use that long and short of it language obviously we probably don't know yet what the long of tool poppy was what was the short? Was it effective in the short term? Did it actually sell more insurance policies? Yes, I'm. I'm led to believe it's been really effective for them. Yes, it. it, it what they needed at that point in time as well was a a rebirth of connection with uh, small businesses. That the business structure of CG and how they insured uh, had changed a few times over, and so they needed to reestablish a connection one on one with uh, brokers and with um, small business owners. So the um, commitment to um, ambition and the, and the way that that showed up was a, a huge part of what, what they needed to reinstill. Hey, question. I was ahead of our conversation. I was thinking about this one, Adam. One of the things that interests me about you, Adam, is I, I'm not sure I can think of anyone within the industry who has as well, possibly with uh, the exception of, Russell Howcroft and Todd Sampson. I can't think of anyone else who has a higher profile with the general public. Do you mean me, Tim? Are you talking to me here or Adam? <laughs> Let's have a little guess. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, but I guess the question for me is, is it's, you know, there's a time commitment that comes with it. Um, why do you do it? Is it about the affirmation of your, your ego or does it actually translate to a uh, new business? I reckon it's um I like the question and I reckon it's without a doubt the former. It's it must be my ego that, that drives it. But but it's, that's not necessarily mutually exclusive to good business sense. And it, someone once told me, Will Leach once told me there's no business model in flying under the radar. So so that can work at a business or at a personal level. So a business needs to know how to brand itself. So Thinkerbell has uh Thinkerbell measured magic, Rodas a thinker with Tinkerbell's wings it has uh contradictory uh complementary contradictions as its color schemes so pink and green coming together start each week with measured monday finish it with magic hour 
beautifully constructed brand that's then omnipresent in the world in, in marketing. And this is going to sound a bit crass and a bit gross, but I don't mind applying some of those principles to myself either. So my distinctive assets up until Jim asked me to shave my beard a week ago as a joke was black, black kind of graying beard, black hair, disheveled, unkept appearance, wear all black all the time. And so they're my distinctive assets and therefore, and they make people, that makes me familiar with to certain people. And if I'm familiar and I'm stuck in their head, then they're more likely to call me if, I've, if they've got a problem to solve or a business problem or whatever. And then the TV and media appearances just aid in that sense of um, mental availability or salience or whatever you want to call it. So the whole thing works on itself. And I would suggest that to people, if you can take the grossness out of it of kind of artificially applying branding principles to yourself, there's no reason why it shouldn't work. And if you're not applying it to, to yourself, and God's sake, apply them to your business. Well, I think the best and worst thing that's happened to me in Adam's ego with that is that we were at an event once and someone came up and asked me if it was okay if I took a photo of her and Adam together. And it, 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 I, could, I could see the smile on his face growing as I was standing there framing up the shot. But I also walked away from that feeling so proud that he's developed that personality that's got such an impact already um in well, so already it's been happening for uh, quite a few years now but you know that's that's my business partner you know that's the agency we've created and he's 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 front and center of it all so whilst it's frustrating to um deal with adam seco it also has its benefits so if you were if you were on a plane together and it went down you can live with the headline being adam ferrier and colleague in plane crash. and generic middle-aged man crash Yes. But Jim does serve a purpose. Oh, how flattering. <laughs> hey, uh, we're almost out of time. There's a few other things I do want to uh, quickly cover off. Let's talk about your, I don't know if the f fairest phrase is sister agency, but decade of action, a cause consultancy. Um, how does that tie in within the Thinkabell universe? Um so Decade of Action uh, was established three years ago um, when Ebony Gaylor, who's the um, director of the business, she was our client at Red Cross. She said, I'm going to start a new agency. And we thought, wow, we can start it with her. She's an amazing um, uh, force of nature. And so her expertise is in social cause. And, um, and so she's got expertise in that world. It's been in her entire world that we don't have. We've been able to marry her skills with ours, which is more on the kind of the general marketing space. And so the, the bringing together of those two skill sets um, allows us to take um, a really kind of mature and branded approach to lots of uh, issues in the world of in the ESG world. It's been really successful. The agency's uh, is said it's only going to last for 10 years or so up to year three. So we've got seven years left. Um, and um yeah it's going along really well they they um they're in the same building as us but have got their own um offices and so forth but in the same macro building and uh yeah it's good. and uh jim let me ask you this um again changing subjects a bit what changes would you like to see in the industry um I don't know if it's a change, but it feels like it's an evolution that's coming anyway. But um, 
it felt like it got quite hard about five, six years ago. There's so much accountability, so many different ways to um, do what it is that we're asked to do with our clients. Um, and we sort of got a bit clogged in the accountability of it all. It feels like it's starting to free itself up and the creative liberation is coming back. But I think that's coming with an understanding of why we're doing what we're doing as well. You know, it's, it's interesting. I spoke a little bit before about the processes we put in place. We put process in place to enable creativity at Thinkable. And, you know, process is sexy, man, when, you, when you're in the creative industry because it gives you license to spread your wings again. So I think that infiltrating into the, into the industry is going to be a good thing. I think it's starting to happen. It feels like it is. And I hope that it continues because that will be a change that's going to benefit all of us. And Adam, same question for you. What change would you like to see? I really well, just listening to Jim's answer then. We look at the world's we look at the world's best agencies, the the mischiefs, the rethinks, the uncommons, and we we like these agencies being lauded for um, being really really creative, and they all seem to have really kind of structured ways of getting there, and quite and they're quite open about that, and so we you know kind of feel like we're in that same league. So we like like that for ourselves and being more creative. The in industry as a whole, um, I'd like to see a more colourful, interesting world. And so I think if businesses can apply more creativity to everything they do, less uniformity, um, less Gattaca kind of stuff. Jim's given me the question. So, so Jim's giving me the sign to um, stop talking about this. I just want to see a more colourful, interesting world. So I think the the industry we we work in is really, really creative, and so I'd like it all to cut loose even more. Final uh, final question, which goes to both of you, a question we always ask every guest. Um, what would your supporters say about you, and what would your critics say about you? Well, we you? know this really well because we track our MPS, and we have done since we started. Um, so our MPS at the moment is in the mid-50s, and, um, and our promoters talk about, uh, thinker tinker model and having kind of a very open dialogue and our detractors i think we i forgot to read that bit it just escapes me tim sorry i think i'm gonna i'll slightly cheat and say that i think they'll say that they would say the same thing because i think our our supporters would say you're not doing it the way it's being done you're getting to where we all want to get to but you're doing it in the you're doing it in a way in which we're all sort of having to start to bend over and 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 bend over, bend towards, um, and be attracted to the way you're doing it. And you know that that gives me great pride when I hear detractors say the same thing. Yeah, that's not how you're supposed to do it. You know, like we're building an agency brand, we're building an agency. It's almost like a little mini indie networky thing that we're starting to create here, and we're getting there with great success. You know, we're we're agency of the year at all of the agency of the year type places we're ranking very highly creatively um and we're taking the mantle of some of the bigger more more established agencies but not in the way that they've done it you know we don't we we won campaign brief agency of the year at umbrella indie pr and and creative and full service agencies of the year without one big thing it's by lots and lots of consistent volume big breadth and stretch of the types of work we're creating you know, and we hadn't won a lion when we've been awarded agency of the year at these things, and that's not how it's normally done. I'm winding up, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> you can finish that answer if there was more, Jim. 
No, that's it. We're doing. We're, we're getting there the way that the others hadn't, and uh, and I like that. It's good, and it's good. Our supporters say it, and our detractors say it too. Good place to end. Adam and Jim, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Today's podcast was edited by Abe's Audio. Remember, you can access all of Unmade's content and archives by subscribing to us today. Head to unmade.media to become a supporter of independent journalism. I'm Tim Burrows, and I'll be back with more soon. Toodle pip. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.